And I may shock a few of you, and that's, that's always fun too. Um, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. It's kind of where we're going to launch from this morning. And it says, Pay close attention, son, and let my life be your example. Prostitutes and immoral women are a deadly trap. They wait for you like a robber and cause many men to be unfaithful. Um, we're going to talk about God and sex. Um, so all the kids are like, what? I'm still in here? Yes, it's true. Okay. Um, but as, as I read this, you know, it, it says, hey, watch out for these deadly women. And it says it that way because this is the advice that some parents gave to Solomon. And he was a fellow. But there is plenty of evil and immoral fellas as well. So beware. But I was kind of thinking about this. And a lot of times, as soon as we say sex, everybody in church is like, what, can you say that in here? <laughs> is the roof going to collapse? Is this allowed? And like, we get all like squirmy and uncomfortable. But it, it's honestly a topic that we, we cannot ignore. It's a topic that is under an immense attack. Sex is an amazing thing, is a beautiful gift that God gave us, but the world has been trying to take it over. It's been trying to, to twist it, dement it, and then push that as normal as they try to, to confiscate what, what God made. It used to be that if you wanted to find pornography, if you wanted to find something, you had to work really hard to go find it. You had to go somewhere, like find this adult section, and then like you had to buy it there, and then people carrying it out, like trying to carry it in a bag or cover it or hide it. Like, but it's not that way anymore. Today, you have to work really hard to avoid it. Yeah. I have been in meetings at church with my communications department. Like, this is not hiding anywhere. This is like, yeah, so what are you thinking for this poster? Something like this. And they're like, here, let's look up some ideas. And they're like, that's ah! And I can scroll down. We're just like, you're looking for something completely innocent and yeah. things come up that are anything but innocent. I remember being in my parents' living room with a friend who is a pastor now on staff with me and we were shopping for snowboard equipment in the living room and we were hopping from one store to the other and we're looking for these leashes for our snowboards and mistyped one of the web addresses for the... Uh, the shop for the snowboard equipment, and lo and behold, that which came up was not snowboard equipment. And you're like, ah! And you, you, you have to be prepared, and you have to know what God says, because the world that we live in is so saturated with this. I was looking up some statistics. It says that 70% of men ages 18 to 34 look at porn weekly. One in th and it's not just a guy issue. It says that one in three women look at porn weekly. The number of, of television sexual scenes has almost doubled between 1998 and 2005. The average um, exposure to pornography, it varies depending on what stat you look at, but they say um, somewhere between 8 and 11 years old. And I, when I was reading underneath one of the studies that, that had it at the older age of 11, they had a couple people listed at 55 being the first exposure, which means they didn't grow up in the sex-saturated digital culture that we presently live in. And so it skews their numbers. It is so prevalent. And we often try to push this off and try to deal with this later, but by the time we're often dealing with it, we go to address it, it's something they're already caught in. I mean, and as I was beginning to, to look at this, it's like, well, what does the Bible have to say. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Uh, it's, it says, um, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And I've talked to different people, and they're like, you know, the Bible really doesn't address this. And they, they, they sit here, and whether it's pornography, whether it's sex outside of marriage, they're like, you know, I, I went to look it up, and I know I, I typed in porn in the concordance, and I didn't find anything, because the Bible must not have anything to say about this subject. And it, it's not true. The Bible has a lot to say. The verse here where it says, flee from sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornea, which is where we actually get pornography. But it is illicit sexual intercourse, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbian, intercourse with animals, um, and the list goes, goes on. But pornography is actually a compound word that's written harlotry. And it addresses it here and says, this is wrong. But a lot of people grow up in church and they've heard some pastor say, sex is for inside of marriage. And they're like, okay. But they, they have no idea that the, where the Bible says it. They're not sure if the Bible says it or the pastor says it. And I remember talking to a girl that I'm going to name Sue. And Sue um, grew up in church. I grew up in church with her. And then she ended up... Um, pregnant outside of wedlock, and when we were talking with her, I said, well, I grew up knowing that sex was for inside of marriage, but I got dating this guy, and he said sex was for inside of love. It was for inside of, like, we had, like, a relationship, and he said that that was okay, and, and I didn't know what the Bible actually said. So before we go any further, I want you to know what the Bible actually says. So I'm going to read a couple of verses because I want you to know this isn't Pastor Daniel's opinion. This isn't something that Jesse just wanted somebody else to say. Like This is what the Bible says. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Fornication is sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Ephesians 5.3 says, But for fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for the saints. Colossians 3.5, Put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, covetousness which is idolatry. Try to say that verse in one breath. It was a little more than I anticipated. Okay. Um, but a lot of times we think this, is, this isn't a a big deal. We think that the Bible is just full of rules, but you have to know that this isn't God going, I just want to give you rules because I want to rob you of fun and because I want to see if you can achieve to this crazy standard that I'm setting up. He says it because he loves you, because he knows you, because he designed you, made you. He knows what you're made for. He knows what's best for you. As a loving father, he gives you instructions on how to have life the best. And sometimes, a lot of times, like a lot of times for the, in this subject in particular, people don't disobey because they don't know. They have this vague knowledge. Some of them don't know where it says it. They heard a pastor say it once, but they go, you know, 
I know the Bible says this, but I think this will just be fun. I don't think that anybody's going to get hurt from this. I think we're going to get married eventually anyways. And they've got all these different excuses. But when you don't understand, when God tells you something, it's be, and you don't understand, it's because you don't yet have the capacity to comprehend what he's telling you. I'm a father, and I have little peoples. Um, so my oldest is seven, then I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So I regularly give instructions that they do not yet have the capacity to comprehend the reasons why. And so you say things like, don't touch the stove. Well, why? Because <laughs> you'll get burned. But I want to. No, you don't. I, I, I don't care if I get burned. That's because you haven't been burned. Like, <laughs> you don't yet have the capacity to comprehend the, the reason behind the instructions I'm giving you. I tell my three-year-old, no, you may not just run across the parking lot. I can do it by myself. No, you may not. You're going to hold my hand. No, I do it myself. No, you won't. Because he doesn't yet have the comp capacity to comprehend the reasoning behind it. Oh, I don't want you to get hit by a car. I won't get hit by a car. <laughs> Your deciding that you won't get hit is not what makes you not get hit by a car. <laughs> and he thinks, well, I can just say I won't get hit. And sometimes he'll look. Really, he will sometimes. But then the rest of the time, he just tries to beat his brothers to the car. Like, or to win. And, and like, no, no. You, I'm giving you instructions. Not because I want to rob you of the fun, not because I want to make you lose in the race to get to the car, but because I love you and because I have the capacity to comprehend beyond you and see things that you don't see. And God looks at us and God loves us and he comprehends more than we do. I brought a little illustration. Let me set it up real quick because that makes it way more fun. Yeah, see, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22, says that a man's own iniquity entraps the wicked man. He is caught in the cords of his sin. Can you guys all see this? This is a trap. It's not a fake one. Um, but this is, this is what a lot of us do. We go, God says not to have sex outside of marriage. God says not to, to look at pornography. And if you're going, well, I didn't know if I really saw pornography in that list. Jesus ups the bar. He said, you know, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, but he said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, he says, you're, you're committing adultery with her in your heart. You're, you're going there internally. So he upped it and said, this counts. So they, they go, you know what? Well, I was looking at this, and nothing seemed to happen. You know, I know we shouldn't have done this, but, but you know, it was just one, one late night and it, it didn't seem like anything happened. So I think that I can play with this and it'll be okay. I think that I can... Um, and eventually, we get lulled into thinking this is okay. And we play with it. And sooner or later... We get trapped. And then he says that the cords of, of his wickedness ensnare him. Thank you. And what, what, what this means 
is a lot of times we go and we play with this, we flirt with this, and we think we're going to be okay. And then after we, we get involved in this, we go, I'm just going to walk away like nothing ever happened. And then we realize that we have ensnared ourselves to a sin. And all of a sudden, there's not only is there consequences, not only is there repercussions from this, not only is it, you know, hey, um, uh, got, a, got an STD, not only can you get pregnant, not only is there all of these physical um, ramifications, but there's addictions, and you get, get literally the sin takes a hold of a person. The Bible says that it's like a, a trap. Do you realize when they set a trap, they typically don't just set this and lay it out there and go, hey, somebody come and walk in the trap. Like, they literally, they come up there, and they like, they'll put it right next to a tree. I was watching this um, guy set one one time where he goes, and he sets, sets the trap, puts it right by a tree, and then he strapped a dead fish to the tree. And then he put some brush right here, and he put some brush right here, so that, I think he was trying to get a wolf that would come in, and would come in right between it to the fish, because the fish looked good. The fish smelled good. And if the, in fact, the fish even tastes good. And he, and he watched this thing where someone would come in and, and it would come at it and it would start and it would start to sniff it, start to lick it, start to bite it, and it was okay. And you're just watching, going, if you play with this for very long, it's not going to be very too long before you're going to put your foot in the trap. And Satan tries to, to do this. It looks good. It may taste good. But in the end, it'll trap you. It'll produce death. And um, I remember talking to a guy a guy came in to the church and he goes, hey, I want to talk to a pastor. Oh, here I am. And so we're, we're talking. And he's like, dude, pray for me. My life is like a living hell. It is horrible. I'm like, okay. He's like, my wife hates me. She yells at me, curses at me. She throws things at me. I go, well, that doesn't sound very good. And like, yeah, like literally, like throw pans. And she's like, he's like going through this list. I'm like, wow, dude, that sounds horrible. Like, your life is really messed up. And so, like, you don't say that, like, but you're, you're like, okay, so you're like, you're tracking. Sometimes someone's like, oh, my life is horrible. And you're like, what is it? I broke a nail last week. And you're like, okay. But no, like, he's going through, you're like, okay, wow, there's, there's a lot going on here. And so I'm talking to him, and as, as I'm talking to him, I'm like, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? He looks back at me, he goes, well, no. No, because God would take away all my fun. Okay. And as we're talking, I'm like, why does your wife hate you? Like, because some, like, I have kids. I know sometimes someone's like, well, they hit me. And you're like, well, why did they hit you? Well, because I punched them. You're like, oh, okay. So like, you have to get the backside of the story. So I'm like, why does your wife hate you? Well, because I keep cheating on her. I'm like, oh, well, that would, that would, that would do it. <laughs> that makes sense. And, and so I'm like, okay, so, so why? So as I'm talking to him, and he's like, well, no, I haven't given my life to God because he'd take away all my fun. Okay, take away all your fun. So what you're telling me, is that God would tell you to stop cheating on your wife. That God would tell you that you need to live differently. And how's that working out for you? Because you're doing everything that you think is fun, but yet you're in my office telling me that your life is like a living hell. So apparently this thing that promised to fulfill you, that promised to satisfy you, that promised all of these great things has trapped you. And instead of being fulfilled, instead of feeling satisfied... You are feeling empty, you are feeling miserable, and you keep searching in the same place to find satisfaction while that very thing is what's robbing you of the satisfaction that you're looking for. And so they're, they're sitting here and they're being trapped, they're being hurt, they're being broken by that which 
they're looking to to try to fulfill them. And as, as I begin to look at this, there's, there's something really, really important. There, number one, you need to understand that God made sex. Sex is wonderful. Sex is amazing. And sex is for inside of marriage. And if you take it outside of marriage, a wonderful thing can become a very destructive thing. Um, fire is an amazing thing. Fire heats our homes. There's actually a fire inside your engine. It makes your car go. That's why you have spark plugs and put gasoline. But you get a fire in the wrong place and it kills people. Good thing in the right place, great thing. Good thing in the wrong place, deadly. Okay, so we understand first that God made sex. Sex is good, but it has a right place. Now, when we begin to understand that, what we often come up on this, this next thing, going, okay, well, what about somebody, or what about myself, if I've blown it? What if they've blown it? What if they're dealing with homosexuality? What if they're having trouble because they're sleeping with their, their girlfriend or their boyfriend? What if they're addicted to pornography? And this is really, really, really important. God loves you right where you're at, even if he doesn't love where you're at. And a lot of times we are in a very um, performance-driven society. And so we want to establish value and worth based on performance and based on comparison. And so when we look at somebody who's not performing up to the standard that we see or saw, our, our society has a tendency to point out everywhere that they fail to try to feel better about themselves. And so it can create a very judgmental culture when we're like, well, the Bible says, and you did, and you didn't do, and, or we sit here and we struggle because we recognize that there's an inconsistency in ourself, that we haven't lived up to the standard, and so we're struggling. But God loves those that are trapped by lying, stealing, lust, homosexuality, pride, gossip, bowling. But that doesn't mean he approves of their behavior. And, and there's this thing that the world pushes that says, you can't love me and disagree with me at the same time. And they're like, if you don't affirm my lifestyle, you don't love me. But I would like to tell you that that's baloney. Um, as a father, you know that that's baloney. Okay, I have, as I said, I have, I have four kids. My youngest one has a strange obsession with dog food. If you will leave the mudroom door open, she will make it into the mudroom, into the mudroom closet, into the dog food. And you're like, where did she go? And then all of a sudden you hear something, you're like, no, not again. She's into the dog food. And she's, you get over there and you're like, no. And she sees you and she's like, oh. and you're like no. What are you doing? That is not okay. I love you so much that I cannot approve of your behavior. Dog food is not meant for you. It's not good for you. I don't know what's in it, but it's not made for you. My loving her doesn't mean, oh, that's okay. Just eat the dog food. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Like, no, that would be unloving. As a father to just go, okay, well, if you want to do it and I love you, I'm just going to let you do it. No, that's, that, that's, that's dumb. We, 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 it's obvious when it's with my child. It's obvious when I refuse to let my three-year-old march across the parking lot whenever he wants that my disagreeing with him, my not approving of his behavior, is actually my loving him. 
I love him, therefore I don't want him to destroy his life by getting hit by a car. One of my kids, when they were about the three-year-old mark and they're like starting to comprehend things, but not all that well, is like, you know what? I want to go to heaven someday. I'll just get hit by a car when I go across. Like, no! <laughs> Bad idea, you're missing some things here. Like, my not approving is because I love him. When Jesus, Jesus one day, um, he, as he returned to the Mount of Olives, we saw, find this is John chapter 8. Jesus is, is there, he's there with a crowd, and some Pharisees come up, and they have caught a woman in the act of adultery. Um, it, do, it doesn't give a whole lot of details. Like, you get the impression that they were, like, barged into the house, grabbed the lady, and dragged her in front of Jesus. Kind of shocking. Um, they were not looking out for her best interest, so they just make this large and embarrassing scene as they drag her out in front of him, and they're like, the law says that this is not allowed, so we're going to condemn her, and we want to stone her. Or what do you say? And they go, we are going to judge her based on everything that she's done wrong. And, and they, they present this to Jesus, and it goes, well, does Jesus love somebody that he disagrees with? Does Jesus love somebody who's living in a life that is not what he approves of? And, and Jesus' response to them was not, you know what? You're right, stoner! He, he, he looks at them, and he just says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And, and this crowd... It says they begin to leave from the oldest to the youngest. Jesus bent back down and began to write in the sand. And I've heard some people say he was like writing their sins in the sand, writing the Ten Commandments in the sand. I think they just started leaving from the oldest to the smartest because the older people were smarter. They were like, there's nobody here who can throw a stone. I'm leaving. The younger guy was like, you know what? Maybe I haven't made this, but somebody else will throw the first one. By golly, I'm throwing the second one. And they're just waiting. And they're seeing all the old guys leave. They're like, come on, come on, somebody, somebody. And finally, they're like, nobody, and they walk away. But then then we have this moment between this this girl and Jesus. And Jesus, who is without sin, literally could fulfill that and could be the one to condemn her. But he looks at her and says, where are your accusers? He says, they're gone. And he goes, neither do I condemn you. And this last part's really important. Now go and sin no more. And this is what it says. It says, I love you right where you're at. That doesn't mean I approve of where you're at. Because he's challenging her to go and live differently. But he says, I still love you right there. As the church, we need to recognize that in our own life and in our sin, that God doesn't approve of it but God still loves you. But it's also important that when we look around and we see somebody else that's struggling, that we look at them and go, you know what? I don't approve of of different behavior, but I'm gonna love you right where you're at. And that doesn't mean that I'm okay with your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your homosexual relationship or whatever it may be. It says, I'm gonna love you right where you're at, even if I'm not okay 
with where you're at. And it is so important. A lot of people, the way that they're going to view God is through the lens of you. This is especially important for all of those who are parents, to all of those who are a leader, to all of those who go somewhere where you are recognized as a Christian. Because those that are there are going to look at you and go, this is how a Christian, this is how God responds. And they often hide their struggle because they're afraid of their response that they're going to get. And a lot of them refuse to come to God because they are afraid that Christians will respond with condemnation and a lack of love. And they've seen it. And sometimes because we're not sure how to respond because we don't approve and don't know what to do, we've parked on condemnation. And so they've hidden or backtracked or we've been afraid to deal with some of our own issues because we've been afraid of the condemnation. And it's so important that God, that Jesus loves you right where you're at, even if he doesn't love where you're at. And that we recognize that for ourselves, but that we show that to others. And then there's, there's a, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's just this weird one that all of a sudden like lit up to me one day. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine to 11. Do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Can, catch that? Such were some of you. But you are washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I read that one day, and it was like, you know that English in school that you thought, I'm never going to use this, finally came to good use. I'm like, such were. I'm like, wait, that's past tense. That means that what I was does not determine what I am. And the mistakes that I have made do not need to mark me and determine the rest of my life. That God wants to forgive me. He says that such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is forgiveness. That what has happened is not the end. God is not done with you. That God wants to love you. That God wants to forgive you. And that God wants to use you as his hands to, to show restoration and healing and love and restoration to others. That he wants us to be the ones that loves them and draws them to repentance because God's kindness draws people to repentance. Romans chapter two, verse four. And, and, and this is, this is our, what, what he made us for because God made sex. He made it on purpose. It's an amazing gift. It has a place and outside of that place, it's destructive. But he loves us right where we're at even if he doesn't love where we're at. And some, so, so often you talk to people and they're like, you know what? I got involved in this one way or the other, whether it was something that accidentally popped up or a relationship that just kind of started to grow and went where it wasn't supposed to go. And they, they realized that I'm caught. And I, I went to get out and it wasn't so easy. In fact, in... Somewhere in my notes, it has this. There it is. 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, flee youthful passions and 
pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Plans to be free based on willpower very seldom succeed. See, I want, I want you guys to picture something, get out your imagination, okay? Think about an elephant. You guys, can you guys picture an elephant? Okay, stop thinking about an elephant. Don't think about an elephant, how big they are and how massive their ears are or their massive white trunks. Don't think about that either. Sorry, tusks when they have long trunks too. Or their short little tails. Don't think about an elephant. What are you thinking about? Ah, but I told you not to. But that's a lot of people's approach to trying to become free from sexual addiction. They tell you that, that medically, that, that getting free from a sexual addiction is similar to breaking the addiction to, to drugs. That your body, in, when, whether looking at pornography or, or having sex, releases a series of chemicals in your brain that literally have an addictive nature. They are the same chemicals that they are, most of these drugs are trying to release in your brain in order to, um, both to cause pleasure and to cause an addiction. And I begin to look at this going, okay, he says, not just to flee it, but to pursue righteousness. You get to set this new direction and you get free, not from just going, I won't, I won't, I won't, but from going, I will, I will. See, Chocolate chip cookies are amazing. And it's deep. This is a deep spiritual truth. I want you to picture a chocolate chip cookie and how when they fresh come out of the oven and they're soft and you bend them, oh, it's so good. And then like the chocolate, like, like string between them. What are you thinking about? It's a cookie. Was anyone still thinking about an elephant? See, when I sit here saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, that's where your mind is, that's where your focus is. And the Bible says that we're enticed by our own sinful desires. When the meditation of our heart bubbles up inside of us, it takes us in a direction. And when that's my only focus, getting free is really hard. But when I set my mind here, I can begin to push that out by overflowing with God and with his word. So he says, do not be transformed or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, if I will get this inside of me and I will fill up on this, I can push out some of that other. See, one of the things is you're not meant to do this on your own. I don't have a whole lot of time to say here. Don't do it on your own. Don't flirt with it. And then it sits here. If you, you act out of the overflow of your heart, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23. So if, if you're struggling with this, I want to encourage you to, to not to do this alone. He who confesses and forsakes their sins finds mercy, Proverbs 28, 13. But I, but I want to challenge you to start to write down who God sees you to be because you act out of your identity. So if you'll write down, say, you know what? I'm going to get, begin to confess what God says about me. See, I am a man of character and integrity. I have a heart that wants to do what's right. See, you can look at Job's, Job made a statement in Proverbs 31.1. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young woman. Psalms chapter 101, he says, David says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the works of those that fall away. They shall not cling to me. See, I can begin to confess this over myself, that I'm a man of character and a man of integrity, that, that I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young woman, that I will honor my wife by the way that I treat her and by the way that I treat other girls. I will honor my wife and how I look at her and I will honor my wife by how I choose to look at others. And I can begin to confess this. And what this does 
If you say, well, I'm struggling and I don't understand. Well, when you begin to do this, this begins to fill you and this begins to overflow from you. When this begins to overflow, it begins to change your actions. It begins to change your desires. And when you begin to confess that regularly, it begins to change the way that you see you. And when, when something happens, all of a sudden that challenges that, all of a sudden this person shows up or this website pops up and all of a sudden this red flag will go up in your head because you go, that's not who I am. See, I'm a, man of God. I'm a man of God. I'm a man of character and integrity of a heart that wants to do what's right. I honor God with my body. I honor God with my eyes. I've made a covenant not to look lustfully upon a young woman. And that thing pops up and you're like, whoa. And, and you have this choice that goes, whoa, because this thing that you begin to speak over yourself begins to pop up and say, this is who God says I am. And then you have a choice. And it's like this reminder going, am I going to pick that? Am I going to pick that? Or am I going to pick who God says I am? And you know what? If you fall, God doesn't, God loves you where you're at, even if he doesn't love you're at so we confess and we get back up we don't play around it in closing okay Proverbs chapter 7 wisdom looks out the window and it says that she sees a boy lacking sense going near um, the evil woman's corner. And I read that one day and said, why? How does she know he lacks sense? Is he wearing a sign that says, I'm with stupid and points up? Like, how do you just look out your window and recognize him as stupid? And then it says, he was going near her house. Wisdom looked out and said, somebody's playing on a trap they obviously aren't thinking very clearly. One of the things we have to do if we want to be free is don't plan a trap. Don't flirt with it. If you're struggling with your relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend, don't hang out alone in the house at night. Don't set yourself up to fail. And there's a lot of really practical things but I ran out of time. So I want to end with this. God loves you right where you're at, even if he doesn't love where you're at. The Bible says that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So whether you've struggled with sex, with pornography, or with lying, cheating, pride, whatever it is, God wants to forgive you. And as we went in that verse in 1 Corinthians, he wants to make what you were, maybe what you presently are, he wants to make it what you were. He wants to make it past tense. He wants you to be washed and cleansed. And if you have not made Jesus your Lord and received his forgiveness, I want to give you an opportunity right here and right now to make him Lord and to receive his forgiveness. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If you're here, you say, today, I want to make him my Lord. I want to receive his forgiveness and know that I'm right with God and I'm on my way to heaven. When I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. So that's me. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand. Who else is that's me and your hand? Who else is that's me? Awesome. I see your hand. All right. The Bible says whoever calls in his name will be saved. So we're going to do that. We're going to call on his name and declare him to be our Lord. 
So whether you raised your hand or you've done that before, go ahead and join us as we declare him to be Lord. Say, God, thank you for loving me right where I'm at. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give them a real big hand. What a powerful word. Thank you, Pastor Daniel, Amanda, for coming out here. You know, I heard this word before, and second time I'm hearing it still impacts and resonates. Res, what's the word? Resonates, thank you, in my, in my heart and in my spirit to just continue to teach these basic biblical principles and commands that God has for my children and for those that are around me. And so I pray that you guys are blessed by this. Here's the deal. If you made a decision for Jesus Christ, whether you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand and just didn't, but you genuinely just gave your life to Christ, or maybe you were coming back and saying, I'm sorry, God, I'm back. I want to get back on track. I want to make sure you guys take the right steps from here on out. Because how many of y'all know when you start a race, it's not step one and then the race is over. You continue to journey on. And here's the thing. If you look in your bullets and you'll see a connection card, okay? This just is a simple tool that helps me and Pastor Danny out. If you, if you made a decision, we're going to ask you, fill this out. Uh, put a prayer request if you have. Let us know what God is doing in your life. And when you exit out, just drop it in the box. That's all you have to do. 